you are listening to Demise of the Podcast with Patrick Attaway, my podcast where I discuss writing. This is my second take of this episode. I've never stopped an episode while I was recording it and started over before, but I did. I got five minutes into this last episode and I said, I'm boring myself to fucking death. So I want to keep things exciting for myself, even if I had to fake it. Even if I have to fake it! My microphone just fell right on my penis. By the way, if you're listening to this and you think you know me, you don't know me. I am not the Patrick Attaway that you think I am. Anyway, I am not reading Percival Everett for the foreseeable future on the podcast. And that's nothing against Percival Everett. I just don't want to read any more novels for a while because... The amount of attention that they require and the lack of progress in an episode, it it just doesn't lend itself very well to this format, I have to say. Covering it in more than one episode is fine and dandy, but that means that I'm reading the same book for three or four weeks. So today I'm going to be reading one of my as-of-yet-published short stories. I went on a writing tangent this summer. And I wrote a bunch of short stories, and this is called Going Down on One Knee. Now, if you're not familiar with the podcast, typically what I do is I talk for the first 10 minutes and bullshit. But today, I want to get into the reading because my bullshitting is not entertaining today because I have nothing to talk about. I'm going to be adding my own music by Lurking Vowel. That's my music pseudonym from my as-of-yet-titled album. I decided that I really wanted to record an ambient album again. I got over other guitar players with their $500 ambient pedals pissing me off, and I decided to make one, and I made it in four days, which is not new for me. I've recorded an album in a day before. It wasn't great. I had a couple of good songs come out of that, that album that I put on a compilation later, I think. But... One of my, my, my first ambient albums back when I was in high school, my sixth album, <clears throat> excuse me, it was an ambient album that I made in four days, and it was mostly acoustic guitar, come to think of it, but I was stepping into the world of ambient music and really embracing it. I was really into Eno and Robert Fripp and Harold Budd. I talked about this last week, I'm sure, but you'll get to hear all of that as I read today. Also, got a new acoustic guitar. I posted a video up on Twitter if you want to hear it. It's my first quality acoustic guitar in years. I've had this Lag Thin Line, which is a nice guitar, sure, but it was $500, and by now the electronics are being wacky. And as an acoustic guitar itself, it's not amazing sounding. It's mainly meant for plugging up, sort of like an Ovation guitar. And I also have an old 80s Alvarez that was made in Japan, and I've had a Japanese acoustic before. I had a, a whatever Martin their off-brand was in the 70s. That was an amazing sounding guitar, but I got rid of it. I have a long history of of trading and selling guitars. I went through my list last night and added my new guitars to the list. And Well, I've had 78 guitars in total. And that's crazy, is it not? But when I get around to it, I hope that this acoustic guitar will make for some more cool ambient and 
maybe just straight ahead acoustic stuff. Who knows? But I have a feeling that most of what I'm going to put in this episode is going to be the electric piano sounds, which is not an electric piano at all. It's a guitar through a guitar synthesizer pedal. So I hope you enjoy that. If you are unfamiliar with my music, you can always get on my link tree. You can visit my SoundCloud. If you go on archive.org, if you're not familiar with that website, you need to be. You can get on that website and type in Lurking Vowel, and over 20 of my albums are up on there, including compilations and what have you. Okay? Okay. Oh, there is one more thing I want to talk about, because I just got... The other day, I pre-ordered it the day that it came out. The Grand Theft Auto Definitive Trilogy. At first, I wasn't awed by it, okay? I saw the, the, the trailer, and I thought, okay, this is promising. But there are fan mods that are better than this game. And for the most part, they didn't fix the controls. All they did was remap them. Granted, I have only played the first five minutes of Vice City, and I've played through the first half hour of Grand Theft Auto 3. That's my favorite of the trilogy. And they didn't do anything new other than adding a few features that really I could I could take or leave because they don't add anything to the gameplay. And here's my, my thing. A classic Grand Theft Auto player, if you sat them down and you asked them, what would you do to improve this game? Updating graphics is fine. But Grand Theft Auto 3 was supposed to be a fairly dark and atmospheric game. And they tried to do that again in Grand Theft Auto 4. And they succeeded in some respects. But... I would want the controls improved. I would want them to be more like Grand Theft Auto V. I would want the driving to be more like Grand Theft Auto V. I would want textures improved for everything, not just a few things like the roads and the trees and a garage door. Some of the signs that are on these buildings look exactly the same. They essentially removed the dark fog that made Grand Theft Auto 3 Grand Theft Auto 3 and you can see buildings from each island if you get high enough and they don't load all the way so it doesn't really do you any good it looks ugly in some parts and a lot of the character models just look bad and now people have complained so much about it and there have been so many issues with it that Rockstar removed it from the PC marketplace. So, that's my rant on on Grand Theft Auto, the Definitive Edition. Add more cheats, that would be great. I'd love to have more cheats. I wish that Claude and Tommy could swim. I wish that there were more vehicles, maybe. I'm not asking you to revamp the game, but better controls would be great. That alone would have made it a bit more worth it. Update the character models a little bit so they don't look so weird. Some of them look okay, but a lot of them not only look weird, they move weird. Have you seen Misty, the prostitute that's in the first few missions of the game? She looks freaky as hell. 
Anyway, I will stop talking about that and I will start reading Going Down on One Knee. I should have loaded this onto my Kindle. It would have been easier to go back and forth. <laughs> Rick wakes up when I park the car next to the gas pump. Siri keeps telling me to proceed to the route, so I drop my phone in the middle console. We're only a couple of miles from the university, but my Corolla was on empty. University of Carroll reached out to the American Atheist Society about a debate with a Christian professor, although we're not getting paid other than reimbursement for gas in the hotel. We have to share room at the Marriott. As I'm filling up the car, a loud voice says my name. Rick went inside to use the bathroom, and I'm alone out here other than the highway traffic. Maybe the attendant said something over the loudspeaker. Once the tank's full, I start to head in before Rick strolls out with a Diet Coke. He's always getting on to me for drinking too much coffee, yet he'll ingest that poison. Did the cashier say anything to you, I ask? No, Rick shrugs. I thought someone said my name, I say but there's no way he'd know me. She, Rick corrects. Obviously, driving for six hours made me delusional. Rick never offers to take the wheel, though I'm his colleague and people often mistake me as his assistant. Because he's the one with a book. I'm the lesser atheist. I guess he believes less in God than I do. Lori sent me an email, Rick holds up his phone. She wants to know where we are. Tell her we're almost there. But where, Stan? Siri says we're 1.8 miles away, Rick. Okay, Stan. Rick grabs my shoulder to shake me as I'm headed up the highway toward our last exit, which isn't like a normal exit where there are businesses and places to let your dog piss. Instead, houses older than Rick line the street toward the college. This town is some sort of suburban hellscape. Lori says she'll buy a subway on campus, Rick says. Should I tell her you don't eat carbs? It'll be fine, I say. What kind of school has a subway, though? Campus matches the rest of the town with old buildings near the front and the actual academic setting arranged in a mismatched rectangle. Quad, where we meet Lori, was probably a place where long-haired boys played acoustic guitar in the 70s, but now we're the only souls lingering around. This is the first time I've read this out loud since I read it. A friend of mine, who I will not name because he is currently incarcerated, I've been sending him my short stories through email. Of course, I have to pay for those emails, but he gets to read my stuff. And believe me, I wouldn't normally just email stuff to someone, but he's in prison, so he doesn't really have much reading material other than what's available in the prison library. So he's grateful for it, and he really likes these more literary short stories that I've been sending him. And he likes it, but that doesn't necessarily account for much just because one person likes it. And as I'm reading it, I'm wondering how exciting this really is for you. But you're supposed to notice the fact that he supposedly imagines someone calling his name out, and Rick is based on a real person. Lori is too. Dave, or what? Stan is his name. I don't know why I want to say his name is Dave. Stan is, is nobody. But this is all inside baseball. 
nonsense that you don't care about. I met Lori at a conference in Atlanta where she presented us on the myth of, myth of Lucifer in the Old Testament, though I know she doesn't identify as an atheist. Rick knows her from their days in San Francisco when I was still breastfeeding and shitting green. She looks like I'd she looks how I'd expect a former California living in rural Georgia to look with her shoulder-length hair with bangs, a purple shawl down to her ankles, and a beetle shirt. Stan! What, I ask? I turn around in a circle. Rick nor Lori heard that, so I shake my head to pretend I'm confused, though I'm not entirely pretending. Thanks for driving down, guys, Lori says. I think the drive got to Stan, Rick says. We'd better get him something to eat. I'm fine, I say. Thanks for inviting us, Lori. The subway is in a circular building with a dining area which takes up half the floor, but all the tables only have two chairs. This six-inch turkey sandwich won't keep me full, even if it fills me at all. When Rick and Lori sit at a table over, I almost get into my chair when I hear a man shout my name again. Rick, I say. Stan, did you not hear that? Anyway, Rick says, Dr. Williams doesn't know anything the others have tried in debates before. He's trying to, he's going to embarrass himself. He's a nice man, Lori says. Don't go in thinking he's evangelical. Hey, I motion, am I hallucinating? That new book of his is in every library in America, Rick says. I can't keep motels from throwing mine away. Since I lack an audience, I start eating and there's a whispering noise in my ears between each chew. Stan goes from the left to the right over and over until I swallow. You know, it's awful when you're trying to eat and something bad is happening to you. It's the worst time. I would rather something bad happen to me while I'm on the toilet because something is already bad happening to me, you know? Most of the time when I go sit on the toilet, it's World War II in my stomach. But when I'm eating, I have a goal in mind, and that's to finish everything that's in front of my fucking face. And when you interrupt that, you're interrupting my brain's flow. And there's nothing worse than having your meal interrupted and being half full because then you wind up being hungry again if you're not already very hungry to begin with. Maybe I need a nap. But as I'm putting more bread, cheese, turkey, lettuce, pickles, onions, black olives, and brown mustard in my mouth, the yelp from all directions forces a sandwich from my hand. Is he on something? Lori asked. Are you on E again, Stan? Rick asks. You don't even know what E is, Rick, I say. I'm fine. The mass comm department is filming tonight, Lori says. Are they putting us on YouTube? Rick asks. After I toss my garbage, I pace down the stairwell leading outside, and the breeze refreshes me until it starts saying my name. Am I going to have to endure this all afternoon? Developing a mental illness on the day of a debate isn't fair. Stan! What? I call back. Stan! What? Greetings. Hi. This is God. I'm not responding to that. A couple of students hear me shouting. 
While most rational people laugh or display concern for a man randomly shouting, their expressions tell me whatever I'm doing isn't cool. It's embarrassing, though. They act like an atheist enduring a Baptist minister's sweaty sermon. Okay, have you ever been in a room with people who just were not responsive to what you were doing? No matter how weird or funny or out of place it was, they just look at you like you're inconveniencing them. There's a local bar. I've probably told this story before. I say that every episode, but it's a hipster bar. And if you sing along to a band playing, if you, I I don't know, if you just act out like a person does at a bar, talking too loud or whatever, they all act like you're harshing their mellow. They just want to sit quietly wearing whatever clothes they're fucking wearing for people to notice and ask them about and then ignore them. And they want to maintain the cool vibe, man. And college students are a lot like that sometimes. You go to a place on a campus and maybe you shout a little too loud or you say something funny and they just kind of look at you like you're not worth their time even though you're not infringing on their time am i making sense here okay stop judging them the voice says rather than yelling back i walk past the fountain and toward the technological learning center where this debate is supposed to happen. If Rick needs me, he'll call. My role in this debate is to provide notes on possible retorts. While Rick and Lori talked about Dr. Williams, I actually read his book on Christianity in America and brought my copy for reference. Since he's a history professor and the book is presented as an objective research text, the growing population of academic atheists usually shrug and move on. They play the same game of getting their work published. Lori is the one who likes to see Rick debate these types. You know I'm everywhere, Stan. Finding a couch on the second floor, I plop my bag on the neighboring cushion and pull out my binder of William's book. Rick likes his notes on thick cardstock I have to cut up to resemble flashcards as if they're merely talking points. For those with a gift for public speaking, reading, and saying two different things is crucial for debates. Oh, another voice says, you're not Rick Hudson. Dr. Douglas Williams, in his slim build and navy suit, stands over me reading through his book. Whenever I meet someone I know through pictures and academic writing, I feel like I'm running into a B-movie star. I'm Stan Newberry, I offer my hand. Rick and I are colleagues. So he brought you along for the debate, William asked. Say, I stand up, I've read your book and I assume you believe in God, right? I am a Christian, yes. Have you ever talked to God and gotten an answer? Well, I, I talked to God, but are you prepping for the debate right now? This is off the record, as they say. God doesn't speak to me through words. Sometimes other people say things to me or something happens as a lesson, and that's how I interpret God's communication. At no point has he ever shouted from the sky at you, I ask. Sorry, I have class. Now Dr. Williams thinks I'm an ass. 
Rick expects people to dislike him, but I'm rarely the target of disaffection in these outings. I'm going to have to take a sip of my Coke Zero. How are we doing out there? You doing good? See, when I was coming up with ideas for stories, I thought that the idea of God yelling at an atheist was comical. And yes, I'm presenting it as being comical, but the thing is, I felt like it had been done before, but I, I didn't, I, I'd never seen or read or, or heard anything like it. So I'm not saying that this is the most original idea ever, putting on Bird's Peace, but I had a lot of fun writing this. And see, I'm presenting it in kind of a real-world way where other people, their experiences are bland. They're black and white. They're banana nut bread without any nuts or sugar. They're just plain old, nasty, low-carb, nonsense bullshit, okay? This man is experiencing life in 3D for the first time, okay? His experience is let me think is a diamond and everyone else's experience is cardboard okay you'd rather look at the diamond wouldn't you but if everyone else has a cardboard existence they're not going to know what to do with the diamond or they're going to dismiss or even resent the diamond I feel like this metaphor is going nowhere since I openly expressed this idea that the voice speaking to me is God who I don't believe in, then I manifested my mental condition. How long before I'm taking pills or I'm in a padded cell? Rick takes my notes in the auditorium and does the friendly opening conversation with Lori and Dr. Williams. God damn it. See, I'm reading this off a computer and if I scroll too far, it fucks everything up. This is something that you don't need to know. Unlike his demeanor with me, William's body language is quick and jagged around Rick. Since Lori only acquired one podium, they take turns standing in front of the audience, who are obviously students here for a credit. Many professors require students attend some university-sponsored event. That's how they keep their published friends afloat when they show up to promote their books. Okay, so the inspiration for this scene is something that I actually witnessed and I have to tell you the story that goes along with this short story so indulge me uh, my professor who Lori is based on I took multiple classes with her and she was friends with Ed Buckner Ed Buckner is the former president of the American Atheist Association that is in the short story Rick is Ed Buckner uh, he came to our school and he debated one of the professors who wrote a fairly popular book on God and Christianity in America. So here's the thing about debating someone like Ed Buckner. Ed Buckner has been debating people since I want to say the 1970s. So there's literally nothing that you've, you can say to him that he's not heard before. And he destroyed the professor. And you can you can watch it on YouTube. It's kind of boring. But I was there with my ex-girlfriend. Now, in the audience, I noticed someone that I used to go to church with. 
and he now teaches at the college, believe it or not. And this event might be the impetus for him pursuing his degree. So, as he was walking out with everyone, I saw him just upset because the professor didn't do us any favors as believers. I could tell that he thought that he could do a better I, uh, a better job, rather. I keep wanting to say a better idea. He could do a better job than this professor with a PhD and published books on Christianity. He, this guy who, while he's a very nice, intelligent man, he thought that he could go toe-to-toe with Ed Buckner one day if he had the opportunity. Well, lo and behold, I took another course with this professor, and she arranged for Ed to come back to campus and debate this gentleman. And we witnessed this in a slightly bigger classroom in a different building. I don't know why we moved classrooms because it was totally unnecessary. No one else showed up. And he, he failed miserably. I mean, he got embarrassed. It was not good. Mind you, there are professors on the campus who are ordained ministers who studied theology and religion very closely who never thought to participate in such a debate because trying to define or even objectively look at religion or faith, you can't come up with anything concrete. That's why it's called faith. So to debate that with someone who is looking for objectivity with something that is supposed to be more powerful than all of us and something that people have been trying to understand since the dawn of time, well, you're going to lose because your faith should be based on faith, a feeling in your soul, something that you want to believe in. Because everyone who's a Christian or a Jew or who is a Islam. I'm trying to carefully choose my words here, and it is late. It's after nine o'clock. I, I want you to understand that if you believe in something, you believe in it. You don't need someone to tell you that you're wrong. And of course, I'm, I'm speaking about metaphysical things here, not something like uh, believing in the superiority of the white race or something stupid like that. Don't believe in that. But if you believe in God, believe in God. If you believe in anything like that, believe in it. Because the worst thing that can happen is you die and there's nothing there. And if you're worried about believing in the wrong God or you're believing in doing something that doesn't please your God and going to hell one day, well, you have to ask yourself, Is there any evidence for that? So, if you believe in something, you can define what that being means to you. You don't need anyone else to do that for you. You don't need anyone else to tell you that you're wrong because it doesn't matter if you're talking to an atheist or a minister. They're going to tell you something that you believe in is wrong. Anyway, let's get into this. 
Once William starts talking to the audience without regard for Rick, I know he's already lost. At every other debate, Rick asks the Christian speaker if God told them to murder their child, would they obey him, which is low and personal, but not as rigid and scripted sounding. Unlike Williams, Rick debates and gives guest lectures every month. That's how we get our word out. People love something to hate if they're Christian, and Rick loves to be their target. Stand! Move the mic up to your tie, William directs Rick. Now can you hear me? Rick asks. Stand! What? I say under my breath. <laughs> Maybe my reading for that was a little too much. Today is actually a special day, Rick says. The birthday of that evolution guy. I'm having trouble with his name. Charles Darwin! The audience responds. Nobody in this room can drown me out, Stan, the voice says. What do you want, I ask. Williams notices me talking to myself, though Rick keeps going with his joke about Darwin and Lincoln sharing the same birthday. Someone could shoot me and he'd carry on without even wincing at the bang. I walk out of the nearest door into a back hallway, intended for professors entering the auditorium. Pressing my face into the wall, I take a sharp breath in. After audibly groaning, I hear the door open and Lori looks at me before holding up her thumb as if everything is great. Remember what Douglas said, Stan, the voice calls? If you're God, tell me something I don't know. Show me proof. I need to know I'm not going crazy. There is a fallacy in your methodology. You assume if God is real, God wants his presence known at all times. He will reach down from heaven, cure cancer, and tell everyone the meaning of life. Why would God talk to someone making a career out of his disbelief in God? Why would he not talk to someone who already believes in him? I told you to remember what Douglas said to you, Stan. Douglas said God never spoke to him which is a key indicator that I'm losing my mind. But he also said God communicates in other ways. When Lori gave me the thumbs up, was that God? She probably wanted to comfort me because she thinks I'm, we're, I think we're tanking. The lack of applause for Dr. Williams tells us otherwise. Rick returns to the podium, so I go back to my seat and look at all these people. Many of them are believers. I can tell the Christians from the atheists and how they dress, maintain their posture, and their expressions as Rick goes on some spiel I heard so many times before. He doesn't even use my note cards because Williams isn't bringing up strong counterpoints. The point of this debate still makes me question the validity of our research. When people leave this auditorium, none of them are hoping None of them are hopping the fence to either side. I don't know where the hope is. The atheists always feel like they won when Rick beats, when Rick best the Christians. I'm going to read this today. But those who are religious leave believing the same shit. We often receive emails from Christians who think they can do a better job debating Rick. Hence my story from earlier. Before Dr. Williams gets on the podium for the last time, the room goes silent. It's not that people aren't talking or that Williams isn't making a dramatic statement. I can't hear anything. 
Intelligence fails to defy what the eye cannot see, Stan. <sighs> it's easier to disprove God than define his existence, I say. Yes, Williams points at me. The sound returns, and Rick tilts his head as if I said something groundbreaking. I doubt anyone past the front row heard me. Williams repeats what I said, which he doesn't realize was in response to a voice in my head. This debate cannot prove or disprove the existence of God, Williams says. Before we gathered here, I spoke to Mr. Newberry, and he asked if God has ever spoken to me. Williams and Rick share a glance before I get the evil eye. Lori looks enraptured with her hand over her mouth as if Williams tells a tremendous story she's never heard. As someone who studied mythology and religion, she probably heard everything said in this room tons of times. What's the, what's the difference now? No, I have never heard the voice of God, Williams says. But that doesn't mean God never communicates with us. Where's your evidence, I ask. Um, Stan, Lori waves. Isn't it all based on faith and our personal experiences, Mr. Newberry? And before this, I asked you, I point, has God ever shouted at you, shouted at you from the sky? How has God communicated with you, and how do you know it was God? I just do. There's nothing logical about I just do, I say. All your evidence might work in an essay, but they don't work here, Douglas. If Mr. Newberry will take his seat, Lori says, Dr. Douglas has five minutes left in his rebuttal. Existence happens randomly. And all we've done since man created language is argue about it. Rick puts my notes in my lap before standing up for the last time. As he opens his mouth, nothing but breathing comes out. When everyone looks at him with the same worried expression, I know he's either having a stroke or aneurysm. He accepts my hand while I help him sit back down. Rick's pulse feels fine. Lori thanks everyone for coming and dismisses the auditorium. Dr. Williams heads out the back hallway. I'm fine, Rick says. For some reason, nothing would come out. What were you going to say, I ask? There, there wasn't anything to say because you said it. I was only going to back you up. The voice and sudden hearing loss are explainable through temporary psychosis. Rick, unable to speak without any prior health issues, though... If I can't explain this to myself, how can anybody? I can have a medic here in about 10 minutes, Lori says. No, Rick says. Thanks for having us, Lori. Bring the car around, Stan. I expect the voice to come back as I'm headed to the parking lot. All I hear are the people from the debate leaving. Lori helps Rick into the passenger seat, though she doesn't bother saying goodbye. I've known Rick long enough that we're not checking into our hotel. He'd rather us just go straight home. Looking straight ahead, Rick doesn't acknowledge me when I keep looking over to check on him. 
Did he actually try to speak or get choked up? The victory was his before we walked in. Yet I probably embarrassed us enough for Lori to never invite us back. I'm fine with never coming back here again. Until tonight, Rick never acknowledged my contributions after a debate. Our professional relationship relies on silent partnership and Rick assumes the silent part whenever the work's done. This is the first time he hasn't gotten, he hasn't fallen asleep in the car. What was going on with you today, Rick asked. Maybe we shouldn't talk about it, I say. Come on, Rick gestures, let's go. Well, I, I kept hearing a voice today. It started out just calling out to me, and then it said other things. Such as? The voice said it was God. I haven't heard it since I yelled in the auditorium. God? We don't have to talk about it, I say. No, we do. You and I both know there's no such thing, Stan. So what the hell? I don't want to have this conversation. Admitting to this feels crazy enough. The voice didn't sound like it was in my head. It echoed around me. After all my work and research, I didn't... I know there's no God. Yet, I have no way to verify something doesn't exist. I can only prove existence of things I can see. I don't believe any differently, I say. Religion was a means to explain what we couldn't explain, Rick says. We know that people who hear voices are reacting to immense stress and trauma. It's probably a good idea for you to take some time and get your mind off everything. You can come back to work when you're better adjusted. So, that's it. Next time I feel like opening up to Rick, I'll scream into a pillow or eat a Snickers. Knowing him, I'll be gone for a week and he'll call me back to his office. I'm the only one who maintains our blog and people expect updates. After I drop Rick off, it's past two in the morning. My house is only two streets away, so I coast while rubbing my eyes and letting in a few yawns. It'll feel good to wake up in the morning and have nothing to do. Stan, the voice returns. Hmm. I'm not going away. There are probably some pills that will make you go away. Then you either accept me or you get comfortable living with my voice. I can't believe in you until I have proof to show others. I'm not trying to convince others. I've been having a lot of thoughts about God this year and I don't know how to really either contain them or to interpret them or to act on them I don't know why they're coming and I don't know if it's because I'm getting older and I'm becoming more sensitive to things yesterday uh, one of my colleagues was talking about a murder that she she knows uh, someone in her, in her family committed in the 90s and there's a Wikipedia article on it and as I was reading it I was like how am I so sensitive to this now I, I used to not be this way and I've written things that are terrible but they don't bother me when I read them in a, a work of fiction but for some reason re reading or hearing things that happen in real life it bothers me and my other colleague said it's because you're getting to a point in your life 
where you're starting to consider you could have a child and you're, you could feasibly see something like this happening to you. And then there's so much just coming at me at once. I have tried and failed to pick up the Bible and read it. I have read plenty of the Bible, don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm ignorant of it. I grew up in the South, of course, so duh. I've read books about the Bible, books that reference the Bible. I've taken courses where we read the Bible. But to read it from start to finish, I have so many questions. And it's not about God necessarily, but why is this here? Why is that there? What does that mean? And I end up Googling half the shit that I read. And it, it, it's not like reading a regular book. So it's a lot to, to understand, a lot to process. And something like Midnight Mass is, is supposed to be critical of religion, but a lot of the things that were being expressed, well, they, they meant something to me. And I recently watched one of said professor's uh, sermons on YouTube. And I don't know, it's spooking me. It really is spooking me. It's getting to me because I've never been able to, to go atheist. I've never really wanted to. But I've never been able to shake my belief in a God. And I've said for years, I'm not a Christian. I don't identify as that, and I don't want people to label me as anything. I don't want to label myself as anything except for Patrick. And there are people who try to when I tell them about my beliefs, so I don't fucking talk about it most of the time. And when people start talking about Jesus and stuff, it makes me uncomfortable. But it's, it, it, it's just so hard to verbalize. And I've been talking to my wife about it. And she's like, well, do you want to go to church? Do you want to start being religious? And that's not what I want at all. I still don't like church. I still don't really like the idea of people dressing up and coming to a place where they pretend for an hour or two. I don't like that. I, I hate the notion that you have to wear a suit or anything at all particular to sit around and have other people judge you. I don't like being around other people all that much, to be frank. That's another problem I have with church. I don't want us all supposedly believing in the same thing when most of us can't agree on one thing at all. And then I see these other religious practices like Islam. There are some some things in Islam that just make sense. I've read the Quran. I own a Quran. It's right next to my King James Bible in my bedroom. And there's so much more to it than what religion tries to, to make it. They want to make it so they can either control you or make it to where you only understand or believe certain things. And not all churches are bad, not all religions are inherently bad, but to organize something is to have a purpose beyond just a belief, okay? I really like gospel music, and I grew up watching and listening to the Bill Gaither stuff, but even he, he's doing it for a profit. This is his business. He's 
He owns probably multiple houses as a result of writing Christian music. And it's stuff that people sing in churches. But when I wrote this, I wasn't trying to acknowledge or figure out what I believe. That was what Demise of the Trinity was for. <laughs> this, this notion that there is a God, and yet the God just sits there sometimes. And it feels like this God is not shaping my life in any way. He's just there, and I'm asking Him for help. And it feels like sometimes He helps and sometimes He doesn't. But when He doesn't help, is He actually helping me? It's a lot to process. So what tickles me to death is the fact that someone out there, if they were an atheist and God reached out to them and communicated with them, this being that is supposed to be watching all of us, supposed to be in all of our heads and is able to process all of that, this person or creature or entity that has created everything, we expect to have something material or objective that we can define, and that doesn't make any sense to me. Why are people trying to define this being? That's what religion was all about, was it not? Making up stories or myths about this, this thing that we don't know anything about. So, going down on one knee is a critique of that. It's a, a look at how everything, every belief, there's a fallacy in it. And I, for one, as someone who does have, I, want, I don't want to say faith. I don't like that word. I don't like to say spirituality because that makes me sound like a fucking hippie. But this, this belief, I have a belief in God, okay? That's something that I can say without shame. But I don't believe that atheists are going to hell. I don't know that I believe in a hell. I've never seen evidence for a hell, and there's not much evidence for it in the Bible. There is in the Quran, but that comes after. Uh, most of the people who are interpreting things in the Bible are doing so through other te text like St. Augustine's Confessions or Paradise Lost, these notions that have come from other works that we've applied to better understand the, the Bible, why people say that Adam and Eve have uh, apples in the Garden of Eden when it just says fruit. Why do people say that the snake is Lucifer or Satan when it's just a snake? So, we've all come up with our different interpretations of this text, when in reality, this text is relatively meaningless. And I don't know if God had anything to do with the writing of the Bible. I have never seen evidence for it. But that doesn't mean that I'm not going to believe in a higher power. I just call that higher, higher power God. I don't know that Jesus ever existed. I don't know that Jesus is who I'm supposed to believe in in order to get into heaven. 
That's not why I believe in a God, because I want to get into a heaven. I believe in a God because I believe that there's something higher, bigger than all of us out there that put this place into being. And what has always been a mindfuck question for me as I've, I've grown is I asked my mother when I was a child, I said, if God made everything, who made God? And she said, God made God. And then I got to thinking, what if there wasn't a God and there was nothing? And I talked to my one of my, my ex-girlfriend who was at the debate. She said, you can't think about things like that. It drives people crazy. So it's all just a mystery still. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine with mystery in my life. I'm fine with not knowing what happens when I die. Because if there's nothing, then I'm not going to know that there's nothing, am I? And if there's something, if after the chemicals in my my head dissipate and I'm in the afterlife, what then? Well, assumedly, I don't have to work a job. If I want to sleep, I can sleep. If I want to eat, I can eat without worrying about gaining weight, maybe. I don't die again. I can't balloon up to 300 pounds, can I? Can I have sex in the afterlife? Do I? Is there something better than sex? I mean, there are a lot of things better than sex in our world now, but could there be something better than that? That is what I would like to talk about sometime the idea of golden fire hydrants and whatnot. But this has been a very uh, theoretical, philosophical episode of Demise of the Podcast, and I, I thank you for indulging me, those of you who are going to be listening. This is uh, a mind fuck for me right now, so I'm going to sign off. Happy reading, happy weekend. Thank you for listening. Bye.